0: Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your good news. Um, God, that it is the message that... That brings us into relationship with you, God. It is the the message that, that promises us that whenever this life is over, that we will enter into your presence, God, but it's also the good news for today. God, it's the good news for the for the weary saint who life has been beaten up, the, the, the weary saint who the things that are going on that are outside of their control, God, that today I want to preach the good news. To us that God, you are still good. That you're still our Father. That you you love us, God. You you take care, God. But you're a Father who receives us back. God, you haven't regretted saving us. Not for a moment have you regretted sending Jesus to die upon a cross. So God, made, no matter what the enemy is whispering to us this morning, that's causing fears or anxieties or doubts, God, that the good news will remind your children this morning that you're a loving father. God, we thank you so much, and we pray that as we enter this time where we open your word, God, that you'll give us eyes to see, that you'll give us ears to hear, and you'll give us hearts to believe. Believe, believe in you this morning, God, that we will see and we will remember, God, that you will restore the joy of salvation. It's in Christ's name we pray, and everybody says, "Amen." You can grab a seat, and as you're flip, I mean, as you're sitting down, I uh, uh, turn to two places. First of all, turn to Psalm 42, and then once you get there, uh, turn to Romans chapter 8. So we're going to start in Romans 8, and we'll land over in Psalm 42. Lester, it's good to see you here this morning, man. You're looking good. Uh, and so, uh, and it's definitely good to have our brother Lester back. Uh, oh, we can clap, that's fine. That's fine. Ash, can you hand me that water, please? And this is my beautiful wife. I just wanted y'all to see her real quick. We can clap for her, too. Uh, but anyway, so, we started a uh, a series last week called "Good News People," and so, as I said just a second ago, this is not necessarily just a sermon we preach to others. We obviously we believe that, but it is something uh, that we preach to ourselves. Being good news people, uh, really, it's it's the disposition of our hearts and our minds. Uh, and so uh, in a nutshell, the, the, this whole series is built around uh, learning to preach the gospel to ourselves, to remind us of the gospel. So Justin, how do you know that we need to be reminded of the gospel? Because in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, hey brothers, I need to remind you of the gospel. It isn't that they forgot about the gospel, they just need to be reminded of the gospel. Then he says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you, that, that you received, uh, and so he, he won't say, I want to tell you about, you know, obviously I want to remind you of the gospel that saved you, but he also said, I want to remind you of the gospel that that, 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 you, that you received, in which you stand, that in your, in your stance before God is because of the gospel, in which you are being saved, he wants to remind them of the gospel, the reality is that we need to be reminded of the gospel because we're forgetful people. Uh, we talked about this a few months ago, that each and every day when we wake up, we don't wake up in gospel mode, right? We don't wake up every day going, I'm so ready to serve the Lord, I'm ready to go wash some feet, I'm ready to go take care of the poor, and things like that. That's not what we—when we wake up every day, the majority of our thoughts go, my day, what's going on today? If you wake up late, then— then everything's off, right? And so let me tell you how bad it is, right? So we used, I used this analogy a couple of months ago, but I just wanted to bring it back to our minds. Think about how your day starts, right? You get, uh, if you're running late, whatever, you put your makeup on, put your clothes on, uh, you get in the car, and have you ever noticed on your way to work that everybody else is rather driving too fast or too slow? Uh, they're in your way, and if they'll just get out of the way, or you stop at the grocery store during your lunch hour, and you go to the biggest live of the pits of hell, the express lane or the 15 items or less lane, and everybody's in your way, and they're trying to barter their way to get some bananas, and it's like, hey, it's 2021, we don't barter in a grocery store, and the reality is that everybody is infringing on your day. The problem is, is that everybody else thinks it's their day as well, and so it's just a bunch of people who are infringing on each other's rights, and the reality is before long, the day we forget that it's the, it's the day of the Lord. It's the Lord's day. He's the one that made it. Each and every day, that's just a simple thing that we need to be reminded of the gospel. But on a deeper level, definitely in the world in which we live in, man, there's doom and gloom around every corner. Social media post is nothing but fear-mongering and things that happen around every corner. And the reality is, man, we, man, that clickbait stuff works. We all get sucked into it. Every single one of us, right? Unless you just get rid of social media, that's probably what we all should do, by the way. Uh, But but we're, we're surrounded by bad news. Man, we need to be reminded of the gospel. And even on a deeper level than that, sometimes, for the believer, we make a shipwreck of our faith. Man, we... At some point we decide I want to start walking my own direction, I make mistakes, whatever. I, I, I began to try to take the reins of my own life again. And what happens, listen to me, where sin is present, so is fear. Fear of being found out, fear of what's going to happen, fear of even God's judgment at times. And on top of that, what happens is, is that our enemy is the one who held the power over fear. That's what we see in Hebrews. And whenever people are fearful, what the enemy does is he holds them in the bondage of that fear. And so the enemy begins to whisper, God's disappointed in you. God wouldn't receive you back. And we, we he holds us down in this own bondage of our own fear because of the own sin in our life. And this morning, I want to say, listen to me, this is the good news that your father will receive you back, that, you, that your father hasn't regretted saving. So no matter where we are this morning, across the spectrum, man, we need to be reminded of the gospel and develop the discipline of preaching it to ourselves. In Romans chapter eight, what I want to do this morning is follow the same pattern that I did last week where we kind of walk through this chapter in Romans. Last week, we looked at Romans six and how we... Uh, we who have died to sin, we are no longer enslaved to it because of the gospel, the good news is a slave. Sin is no longer my master. I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to obey the passions of the flesh. And this morning, I want to follow that same pattern of just kind of a 30,000-foot view of Romans 8, showing some good news truth. And then I want to see how that plays out in that idea of me preaching that message to myself. Cool, everybody follow me? All right, Romans chapter 8. Let's start. And actually, Paul, I think I gave you verse 12, but let's start in 14. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says... For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. See, that is a finished thing there. It isn't like they once were sons of God. It says they are sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. May God bless the reading of his word. So just check out a couple of things. Like I said, it's going to be a a 30,000 foot view of what we're going to do. Uh, I don't have time just to dive into it like I want to, but because I feel directed to, we need to be application heavy uh, this morning. So first of all, it says those who are led by the spirit are sons of God. In Romans chapter eight, Paul spends some time and he gives us a beautiful, the beautiful realities of salvation. Really just a beautiful picture of what salvation is. He discloses the ways in which God confirms that believers are eternally related to him as, their, as his children. Uh, the testifying that we are led, that's what we read in verse 14, the, that we're given access to God and that we're granted assurance by his own spirit. So he starts in 14, he says, all who are led by the spirit of are sons of God. Now this comes on the the heels of the opposite of that. Those who are led by the flesh and those who are still living according to the flesh. And so, like I said, I don't have time to dive into that. So it's really just a polar opposite picture that he's saying here. But those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. The. The tense there of the word led by the Spirit is a, a present passive indicative, which means it's something that already exists. And so when Paul is writing here, he says, for those who are led by the Spirit, it's not something those who are going to want. It's something that the Spirit has done in their life already. It's something that is fixed and finished. In the idea of, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you and that you received. It's that past tense, that justification that happens. At the moment of salvation, what we'll see is that the Spirit... Brings us into God's family. The moment it happens, he brings us, but it's something that's already happened. It's something that's already exists. And ultimately, what it's saying in general, a Christian's life is basically characterized by the Spirit's leading. So that, that gives room because the reality is there are times that I don't walk by the Spirit. That's what Galatians 5 talks about in the idea of, of don't walk by the flesh, but you have two, two voices. It says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit that are the spirit against the flesh to keep you from doing what you ought to do. And Paul says, so walk by the spirit. We, have, we still have the choice, and so it's something that, that the Lord takes, the Lordship of our life at the moment of salvation, but it's still each day, and day in, day, day in, day out, step-by-step step moment as we're walking by the Spirit, and we are eternally secure just within being a child of God. Look at verse 15. It says, if you're led by the Spirit, then you are sons of God. Verse fifteen: For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, with whom we cry, "Abba, Father." I think it's important for me and you to talk, think about this. What, like, what spirit of slavery to fall back into is he actually talking about? And I believe uh, we have the answer to that in Hebrews chapter two, verses fourteen and fifteen, uh, when it says. This, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself being Jesus likewise partook of the same things as in he took on flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, but also that he could deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to his slavery. So ultimately, what I think what Paul is communicating here is that when we get saved, whenever the Holy Spirit takes residence within us, whenever we are born again, when we are justified, what happens is is that not only does Jesus destroy, let's say like this, not only does he deliver us from the fear. Of of bondage of death, but he's also destroyed the one who held that bondage. You're right, you follow me? And so I think when Paul is communicating this here, he's saying, listen to me, when you got the Holy Spirit within you, at that moment, God delivered you from that bondage of fear anymore. Matter of fact, he says the opposite is true. He said, actually, you received the spirit of adoption. Humanity is continually subject to fear because of sin. Slavery to sin brings slavery to fear. And this is the good news this morning. One of the most gracious things that God does is deliver us from both. He delivers us both from the slavery of sin, but also the slavery of fear. Here Paul is speaking, not necessarily breaking down all the components of what it, what adoption looks like and what it means biblically. He's speaking of the spirit of adoption. He says, you receive the spirit of adoption as in the Holy Spirit within you changes your disposition to the Father. Before the Spirit's residence within us, right, God is one to be feared the most. Not like the way that we're still called a, like a holy reverence fear, but as in, if I don't know God, then I should fear God, right? I think that, And so now because those who are being led by the Spirit, not only that, but He changes the disposition of our heart because He gives us a new one towards that God. Now longer do we see that God as one who I should be fearful to be close to, but now we see Him as the most intimate way that we can say Father in this language, Abba, which would be when Evie or Emma says, Daddy to me. It's the most intimate way that we can say that. So man, can you see the difference? Listen to me, child. That, that once before we didn't know Jesus, that God would be the one we should fear the most. And the reason why death is so fearful without apart from Jesus, because we know it's something to dread. And the enemy hangs out over our head. But listen to me, thanks be to God that Jesus not only destroyed that bondage, but he destroyed the one who held the bondage So now when we're born again, our disposition, our everything changes. We no longer see God as one who is is just a cosmic killjoy or the one who says, you have to do this and do that, and if you don't, then I I hate you. But he's one that loves me despite me. He, He loves me. He sent Jesus anyway, even at my worst, and even as a believer now, when I do sin, he's still my heavenly father who will receive him. No longer do we see God like we used to now because of the spirit we see him as Abba, Father. One One of the gauges of our Christian maturity and our understanding of the gospel is how we respond when we sin. Because if we respond to sin in a way that I've got to hide it, I've got to cover it up, I can't let nobody know about this, I've got to conceal it, then we don't really know who God is. And we don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel says that I've received a spirit of adoption by whom I cry out of a father, not just when I have everything right, but even when I mess up. Yeah. Follow me? Adoption. We have God as father. This is the most free reality in all the universe, church. That means we're sons and daughters. The and scripture says those who are led by the spirit are sons of God. Contrary to popular belief, this isn't speaking of this universal fatherhood of God, but specifically those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. What that means is, is that whenever we are born, contrary to popular belief, God's not everyone's father. And contrary to popular belief, we're not all brothers and sisters. I know you hear that, let's go love on our brothers over here, listen to me. We're born enemies of God, and we are all isolated individuals in this broken world. Oh, but when we're led by the Spirit, we become sons of God. At that moment of conversion, we gain a father, but we also legit gain of brothers and sisters. The Spirit makes us children. This is speaking of intimacy and something that is permanent. This is full privilege. As I said earlier, Abba, it indicates or gives the picture of intimacy and tenderness and dependence and a complete lack of fear. Can you see that picture? Can, like just that, that complete lack of fear in approaching God. That's what the Spirit does in our hearts. We have no reason to fear sin or death because Christ has conquered those two great enemies. In Christ we're given a new divine nature And we become a true child with all the blessings, privileges, and inheritance. So he says, you received a spirit of whom I cried, Abba, Father, Then he says in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Not only does the Holy Spirit, the one who who causes us to become children of God, he's the one that reminds us that we're children of God as well. Not only is he the source of the adoption, but he's also the reminder of the adoption. He's the one, man, listen to me. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit is treated like the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son and deserves to be worshiped as. So. and not only is he the one that brings about this, but he's also the one who reminds us of those things. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. We say that we're, we're heirs with Christ. One who is an heir is one who's rightfully in line to inherit what is in store for them. Because of our adoption into the family of God, we're no longer strangers, nor are we of our original father, the devil. Instead, we possess an inalienable right to receive all that God has promised to give his children. So we see that we have God the Father, the Spirit is one that brings us there, and now we're heirs with Christ. Do you see the full picture of the Trinity when it comes to your salvation? Whom shall you fear? (laughs) We have the spirit, we, he says in verse 16, that he bears witness with our spirit, but check out what all he, also he does in verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know, do, do not know what to pray uh, as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us and with groanings that are too deep for words. Not only does the spirit, the one that, that brings us, not only is the spirit who reminds us, but the one, that, the one who will speak for us when we can't speak or whenever we can't even get the words. The work of the Spirit is not only to make us children of God and take up a dwelling within us, but also to give us assurance of our standing with God. All of this, child of God, it leads to joy. What, is there a more freeing reality? We're good news people because of this. We're a glass half full type of people. We've been adopted by God into his family. We now have God as father. We are heirs with Christ with unspeakable riches. We are indwelled by the spirit who reminds us and encourages us. So, why don't I always feel that way? That was all introduction. Psalm 42. Why don't I always feel that way? Enter Psalms. This is why I love Psalms, because you know what? They always didn't feel that way. They didn't. If they were mad, they were mad. They didn't, they didn't baptize it up, didn't put makeup on, it. they just said, God, I don't know what's going on right here. They felt defeated. They told God. If they felt like God had turned his back on them, they, they, they were honest. But they weren't just complaints, and we talked about this in the Psalms of Refuge series. They were, they were processing their feelings in the presence of God. What we like to do is we like to hold on to things and just kind of go murmur things over here. But the healthy way to do it, the, the gospel third way, is to take these feelings and these emotions, these fears, anxieties, things like that, and present them, We process them in the God's presence. That's exactly what the psalmists do, and I love the psalms because I'm thankful for them. Because they're messed up people. And I'm thankful that God, when he's put together his word, that he didn't leave out the dark parts of humanity. But the real ones. So let me give you the backdrop of Psalm 42. Uh, it says that it is a masque of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, or Korah, uh, that's how I'm going to say Korah. Luke can f- tell me if I'm later from, Korah. See, that's why he's there. Uh, Korah. So they, they, were, they led in song in temple worship. And so uh, the maskol there means that this would be a hymn that was meant for instruction. And so what's really weird is that this, this hymn, this could be a sermon in itself, this psalm that they were singing, it's written by a guy who missed temple worship. He was supposed to be there because he was a singer of temple worship, but for whatever reason, he couldn't make it there. So he, he writes this hymn to be sang with people who were there. Hey, what? That seems weird. Well, instructions, it would say, hey, if you get to meet in the house of God, don't take that for granted. Don't forsake the assembly, if you will. That could be a sermon within itself, but let's read. So he says in verse 1, I'm going to read the whole thing real quick. It says, as a deer, see, you can check, you can see him. He's not able to go. He's not able to be there. So he says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So there you see, he, he really wants to be, he desires to be in God's presence, specifically within the gathering, within the assembly. And so he says, but when will that happen? Verse three, my tears have been my food, day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Not only does he have a heart that wants to be in the presence of God, specifically in the assembly, but for some reason he can't go, his enemies are also taunting him about that. You can see the the turmoil that's happening within him. Verse 4, these things I remember, so he's looking back at times that he was able to go to the temple, so these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead in the procession into the house of God with glad shouts and songs Of praise and a multitude, uh, sorry, and a multitude keeping festival. Paul's from. So we see he's in turmoil. This is a guy who wants to be in the house of God. This is a guy who wants to be up there singing. He's a guy who wants to be there, but for whatever reason, we don't know why, he wasn't able to be there. He wasn't able to go. And not only that, but his enemies are telling him, hey, where's your God at? which you can see the gospel in that, by the way. There was one who was the true worshiper of God who, who wasn't, a, for a moment, he took on flesh and wasn't able to be with his father and his enemies would taunt him, where is your God? And what we know that also as a psalmist that he knew that his God would be faithful. But he's in turmoil, almost a spiritual depression, if you will, but check out what he does in verse five. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And now listen to me. He's speaking to his own soul. He says, hope in God. Soul, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So he's in this turmoil. He's being taunted, taunted by his enemies, and his soul is saying, probably thinking about what the enemies are saying. And all of a sudden, the psalmist says, "Soul, hope in God. Stop hoping, God." And you think it would? So there he goes for a moment, and he's he's okay. So look at. Uh, verse six, and my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan of Hermon and Mount Nazar. Deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All the breakers and your waves have gone over me. By the day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And the night, his song is with me. My prayer to the God of my life. So it seems like he's getting it together, right? He, he's really good, but he's about to show you that he's human. Because keep reading. He says, I say to my God, my rock, what? Why have you forgotten me? He just said you were faithful in the morning and it's almost company at night. But then all of a sudden he says, God, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Then again, he talks to his soul one more time. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Man, this is a beautiful picture of humanity and the, the life of the believer as we should expect it. I think oftentimes we're presented a life of Christianity that's like, it's always right here. But the reality is it's good, no, good, yeah. We're, we're roller coastering, right? And that's exactly what we see in Psalm 42. He's at turmoil, hoping God, his steadfast love. God won't be forsaking me. That's how all of us find ourselves. I got somewhere in my notes here. And as a psalmist, we must learn to talk to our soul, ourselves as well. That's the reason we came to Psalm 42. We must learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. Did you know that no one is more influential in your life than you are? Because no one talks to you more than you do. You're the most influential person in your life because no one talks to you more than you do. And this is the reason that we need to learn to preach the gospel to our self. Every morning we wake up, self starts talking. And maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm crazy and need to go put and get put up somewhere. But the reality is we wake up in the morning and self starts talking, right? Starts reminding you of yesterday's worries, yesterday's difficulties, makes you start freaking out about the unknown future, what happens if so-and-so does this, what happens if that happens, and before long you're not even out of your bed yet and you're in despair of what tomorrow is going to hold. Or your self is reminding you of your weakness and your sufficiencies of yesterday and you're too. Too weak and too downtrodden to even get out of the bed. In our sin, we oftentimes find our responses to life in a fallen world to be disconnected from the theology and that we confess. Things like anger, fear, panic, and discouragement, what they do is they stalk our hearts and they whisper a false gospel that will lure our lives away from what we say we believe. That's the battleground of our hearts and minds? What is it that is capturing your idle thoughts? What fear of frustration is, is filling your spare time? Will you just listen to yourself or you start talking to yourself? I sound weird when I say that. Will you, you learn to stop just listening to that self that wakes up? Because listen to me, self 99.9% of the time is defeated. Instead of sitting back and listening, we must learn to do the talking and not letting our concerns shape us, but forming our concerns about the gospel. So what is preaching the gospel to ourselves? There's a difference between reminding ourselves of the gospel and preaching to ourselves the truth of the gospel. The gospel is us self-conscious, our gospel preaching to ourselves is self-consciously and intentionally reminding ourselves of the person and presence and the provision of the Redeemer. The gospel self-preaching is not the same thing as merely reading the Bible, but the connections and how they're, they're dependent upon one another, you can't divorce the two. I think that point says something. They're inseparable from the Bible. Preaching the gospel, it's inseparable from spending time in the word. Because the Bible provides the inerrant material for preaching it. The scriptures are the content to be taken up and applied to our lives. The scriptures have to be known and to be believed. Preaching to ourselves is actively calling ourselves to believe the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Y'all are going to maybe get out a little early. Here we go. Preaching the gospel to ourselves is both proactive and reactive. It's reactive as we encounter temptation and frustration and seek to, to, to restock in the moment or as we reflect back on our sin and circumstances and try to evaluate them from a gospel lens. That's why it's important to, to hide God's word into our heart because in those moments, the word of God becomes a reactionary thing within us. But it's also proactive. It goes on the offense. When we feed our souls in some regular rhythm before the events and tasks and disappointments of daily life begin, That's how Peter calls it preparing your minds for action. So what does it sound like? Is it audible? Is it something within me? Is it both? Like what's going to happen if... I actually may not be freaked out if she comes in and hears me preaching because sometimes I do practice, right? Before I get up here, I don't want to be that guy. But is it something I preach to myself? Is it something that goes on? Here's what it sounds like. When your soul is thinking, do my sins condemn me? I preach to my soul and say, Jesus has covered them all in his blood. Do my works fall short? Jesus' righteousness is counted as mine. Are the world, the devil, and my own flesh, are they conspiring against me? Not even a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father who's in heaven. He has promised to take care of me and keep me forever. Can I really deny myself and carry my cross and follow Jesus? Yes, for it is God who is at work within me, willing and working in me for his own pleasure. If God is for me, who can be against me? Who can bring a charge against God's leg? Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? God is my Father, and He knows my every need, and it is His good pleasure to give me the kingdom. We remind ourselves, we preach when that soul, soul, that old man is reaching up and saying this and that. There is no hope. Listen to me. You preach that soul, hoping, God. Why are you downcast? Why are you despairing? The grave is empty. I'm a child of God. I I haven't received the spirit of fear to fall back into bondage or bondage of fear, but I've received the spirit of adoption. My heavenly father will gladly bring me back, receive me back home. So what does this look like daily? Super applicable here. How do I get in a daily rhythm of this? Number one, you gaze. You gaze on the beauty of Christ in the gospel. In order to preach the gospel to yourself, you have to be familiar with the gospel. You have to be familiar with it. About a year and a half ago, is whenever I made a conscious effort, even before sharing anything with y'all about being gospel-driven, and gospel-centered church, about a year and a half ago, I made a concerted effort to make sure that I was preaching the gospel week in and week out in some capacity. And i me be honest with you. At first, it was hard to try to get the gospel in everything that I was doing. But the more that I studied the gospel, the more I became familiar with the gospel, the easier it was to communicate the gospel on stage, and this is same, same thing in our own life, the more that we expose ourselves to the gospel, even if it's stuff that we've read a million times. Listen to I me, mean, I preached Romans chapter six last week, and i probably preached it 927 times before. Constantly gazing at the beauty of Christ. Why the gospel? Because that is where we see the glory of God in the gospel in the face of Christ, scripture says. Where do we see the glory, the greatest? It's in the gospel. And so we we gaze at Jesus' beauty by immersing ourselves into the gospel. We reread Romans and we reread. Ephesians and and Galatians and Philippians we we keep rereading what the gospel says and if we get bored there then go to the Old Testament and begin Do you really want to flip your lid start going to the Old Testament start seeing the gospel throughout these things it seems like this is some other story from way this is two different books listen to me what you'll begin to see it has been one message the whole time it's one story that unfolds throughout human history that God had a plan before the foundation began but it was revealed throughout time what we call the Old Testament and New Testament, but it's just one book. Hey, immerse yourself in the gospel and you will see Jesus even the more. Number two is you remember. You remember who we are. We remember who we are as child, as a child of God. If all the preaching that we did in the mornings was when the self wakes us up and gets us worried, if we just said, hey, I'm a child of the king self, calm down. Like, if we could just live from that reality, life would feel a little bit different, I think. But what does it mean to be a child of God? It means that we have a father who, who provides and takes care, who, who defends and Number three, we rest. We rest in his power, his promises, and his provision. We read these scriptures, we read these promises, and we, we rest in that. That's the hard one. We rest, like we, we believe, like I believe it. I remember it, and I'm resting in that. And the last one is that we act in reliance upon him. We act in reliance upon him. As in, we're gazing at the beauty of Jesus in the gospel. What's going to happen is that in that we're going to remember who we are in Him. And we're going to see that power is available for us to rest in. But at the same time, that gospel is going to call us to obey. And so we act in reliance upon Him. What the Holy Spirit calls us to do, we act in reliance. That's where most of us stop. Well, some of us are dealing with things that we've been dealing with for 10 years, not because we haven't had access to the power, it's so that we haven't acted in reliance upon that power. We're struggling with things that are just, that, 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 there's freedom to be had in Christ, there's power made available to us. If we'll just not only see Jesus and remember who we are and rest in that, but that we will act in reliance upon him. Father, we love you so much, God. God, we thank you for your good news. May we never grow numb to your good news. Maybe we not get used to it. Maybe we get familiar with it enough to, to share with others and preach to ourselves. God, for the downcast soul in here this morning, God, I pray that through Your Spirit, who enables us to cry out, "A Father," through that Spirit, God, there will be some believers this morning that have a stern conversation with their own souls. That will believe in you, or that will hope in you. God, if there's anyone in here this morning or online, God, that does not know you, that they haven't been adopted into your family, that they literally cannot say, Abba, Father. God, I pray that today that your spirit will bring them into your family today. God, that this morning they will realize their need of a Savior. And God, that you will give them the faith to trust and to receive. We thank you that the good news is seems to be that it's too good to be true, but it's true. Teach us to be good news people and the message that we share with others and the message we share in our own hearts and minds. God, I pray that today God I really feel like there are people believers this morning who need to who need to bring things that they've been holding on to fear anxieties, doubts, insecurities, and lay them at your feet. So I pray that we do so today. It's in Christ's name. As the band plays over us, you kind of stay where you are there in that posture of prayer. And you, I'll be sitting down here on the front if you need to talk. You move as the Lord leads